All right. Welcome in. This is episode three of The Sandcrawler. And today, oh my goodness, folks, do we have an episode for you. For the first time in ever, um, even more so than the than the great song from Frozen, Jeff and I have a disagreement, a categorical disagreement over a piece of Star Wars content uh, recently. I bet you can guess what one it is based on the time that we're doing this episode, but we'll get into that. After that, we're going to hit the Bad Batch, just generally touch on it, kind of our general thoughts. We haven't done, not even in Volume 1, have we done an episode on Bad Batch. So we're going to hit it, not talk about just like the most recent episodes or anything like that, but an over, just an overview of the show as a whole. Then we're going to get into Imperial Interdictors as part of our Essential Guide series. And finally, we're going to hit uh, the giveaway. Still doing the giveaway. Uh, I was able to get a pretty good deal on eBay for a bunch of these Micro Machine Sandcrawlers. I bought a ton. I <laughs> So much so that the seller actually sent me a message and was like, dude, I'm curious. What, what, what do you need this many Sandcrawlers for? And so I kindly told him to, first of all, listen to our show. So if you're listening, heads up, props, thank you. But secondly, uh, that we were doing the giveaway, and so he wished us luck. So having said that, Jeff, anything before we get into the first ever, not first ever, but maybe first ever, dispute, uh, categorical dispute on Star Wars content? Anything that you want to do at the overview point? I think just to let our viewers know and our listeners know you're going down. So that would be that would be uh, my message because we this is Gotti Ward, Fraser Ali. This is you know Riddick Bowen, Evander Holyfield. Daniel and I feel very strongly about what has happened, uh, and we'll jump into it here momentarily. But um, I, I, I'm going to die on these hills, and I don't know if you are too, but um, it's worth discussing. So I feel pretty strongly. So let's, uh, yeah. I, I, our friendship's not at stake, but <laughs> I don't know. By the end of it, it might come into jeopardy. So we'll see. Mando season three, episode four marks a critical juncture in the Star Wars fandom for Jeff and Daniel. I freaking loved this episode from start to finish. I was enthralled with this episode from start to finish. I was sitting on the edge of my seat and I was tuning things out. I wasn't looking at my phone. I wasn't trying to take notes for this call or for, for this call, for this podcast. Um, I call Jeff all the time and we talk Star Wars. Then we do a podcast about Star Wars. And then when we finish the podcast, we text each other about Star Wars. So it all kind of jives together. Uh, I didn't do any of that. I sat on the edge of my seat, leaning forward, Eyes wide open, trying to take in as much of this episode from start to finish as I possibly could. And it was awesome. I actually think it was the best episode of The Mandalorian from start to finish that we have seen in its short run. There have been cooler moments. Um, I think that Luke Skywalker showing up was a cooler moment in Star Wars history, really, but also for the show. And there's probably a few others that I can't think of right now. But from start to finish, this was my favorite episode. I would give it a 9.5. There was a little bit of cheese in it that cost it the perfect score. Uh, but 
I do think that a 9.5 is the highest I've ever given individual show. So Jeff rebuttal first negative, uh, constructive. Yeah, no, that's all good. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to give this episode like an F or an F minus because that's not fair. And I think all kidding aside, we've talked about it. I I do really like the Mandalorian. I like generally, actually, I would say I love what the show has done for Star Wars and what our fandom is. So again, I'm not just nitpicking this for the sake of nitpicking. My critique, and I would probably rate this one um, in like, the low 60 percents nowadays i guess it's like what like a a d d minus maybe i don't know somewhere in there the reason is okay i thought you were were gonna go lower so okay so maybe i pumped it up a little bit but still we're gonna have a healthy debate i'll be i'll be scattered throughout this um so let me start with the, the positive because we can probably find some common ground there and i know we'll talk about it a little bit later in the show too but one thing i did really enjoy was the flashback that Grogu had regarding Order 66, his, you know, escape from the Jedi Temple. Um, you know, one a, a cool cameo, like I said, that we'll talk about here in a little bit. I enjoy that. And I think the background of Grogu is obviously what's intentionally been teased throughout the show. And so to learn more and to see it and also to kind of revisit that era of Star Wars was really cool. Um, and I have, again, no no critique there. I, I thought it was I thought it was well done and well executed. And again, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Here's my problem with this episode. <clears throat> and I'm just going to make even a broader statement, generally how I feel about the entirety of this season. I don't really understand where this show is going, and I'm disappointed by its vapidity relative to how awesome I thought the first and second seasons of Mando have been. I expressed in our first ever volume of this which will eventually publish my concern following um the appearance of luke skywalker and the infamous scene where yeah. it's again like him going through the hallway that by doing that you you jump the shark a little bit with star wars now now you have put luke and now subsequently ahsoka out there into the ether and it's really difficult for me personally as a fan to separate categorically a narrative that i don't think as it pertains to this particular era in Star Wars, doesn't make me really just exclusively interested in in the story of the main characters. And I'm not going to like expound on this too much, but I am a strong and fervent believer that when Disney decided to wipe away the Legends canon, what they really did, which I'm not going to debate this today, like they've wiped away wiped away um 95% of the character biographies of all characters that we know right so yeah an objective really, fair statement to make no opinions on it but that's not, that's an objective right. fair statement yes so the problem with that then is that while if the focus with the sequel trilogy was 35 years after the original trilogy more or less and you were going to focus on those characters the lack of attention paid to the main characters one could argue then, and I would sort of buy it, would make sense. They're making way for a new generation. These people are geriatric. It is what it is. The problem is that when you root a show like the Mando in the era of our main characters, in the quote-unquote original trilogy era, but then you double down (laughs) by giving us not just fan service, but a narrative that is whose red thread is directly tied to Luke Skywalker and the future of the Jedi – After a while, it becomes very hard for me to care about really insignificant plot lines and side missions and side quests. Does that work in a comic book format? 
Absolutely. Does it work when you're playing it as a video game? Sure. But this episode in particular really felt like I was playing Mandalorian Redemption 2, right? Like every sequence is now a side mission to unlock armor. Uh, it's yep. a side mission to to level up the character. Grogu got a Beskar chest plate. He's level three Grogu now, even though he's wearing like the Frodo Mithril armor already. Like it seems redundant. Um I it's pretty good to get level three Grogu though. He's he is strong. He unlocks an extra slot for his abilities at that point. That's fair, but it's <laughs> it's more that it's just I, I don't know how much more exposition I need to hear from the armorer about the importance of Mandalore and armor and its meaning. We we we've beat that horse, and I, I start to wonder like how much of this is a time suck. The last thing I'll say is um, I, I rolled a lot during this episode. I know that they have a whole thing. Uh, with when I say they, I mean like Favreau and Filoni. They, they love like the Harry Harrison or whatever, um, you know, Clash of the Titans, claymation, old stuff. I get what they were hearkening back to. I guarantee they'll talk about it in the making of at the end of the season, where like they go up to the big bird's nest and they're in there and it's like a giant pterodactyl that they're fighting. One, I mean, like bringing the baby birds back at the end just felt like the most eye rolling Disney thing. Like, ugh, okay. That's what cost it the ten for me. That's yeah, what cost it the 10 right there. These are Mandalorians. They're Spartans. They're not these like empathetic, like, um, <laughs> like neighborhood warriors. And I'm not going to like go through each piece of critique because I want you to respond. But I guess the last thing I would just say on that point is that these sort of things in no way really like drive the plot forward. Does Grogu's backstory and some of that like mental exposition? Yeah, absolutely. And guess what? That's just tying you further to his path along the force and how he will ultimately interact in the context of a new Jedi order of some kind, right? Or what his place in the galaxy is. I just felt like, you know, I, I watched these sequences and I actually was the opposite of you. I got on my phone because I have been hit over the head so many times through the Marvel Cinematic Universe and every other Jerry Bruckheimer, Michael Bay film mm -hmm. where I watch a CGI sequence while these guys free fall through the air and there's a giant winged monster. And it's like, yeah, guys, I mean, I'm not saying that's not cool, but I've, I've seen this 550 times already. And more importantly, there's not going to be like any consequence. Nobody's going to die. Like nobody's going to get hurt. So again, I'll stop there, but I just felt like the episode was vapid. And it and the reason I'm upset by it is like it doesn't have to be. That's the thing. Like these guys yeah. are immensely talented. Their show's awesome. I don't know why we're focused in these last two episodes, which are by the way, totally disconnected narratively, with like these meandering side missions. Uh, I, yeah, I'll stop so, there. So I I get it. The and I'm not I'm not trying to boil down your argument, but I think one of the themes of it is this idea that they're almost wasting time. And what's the point if we've seen this kind of thing before they've made their point on what they've displayed. And so they're not furthering the story. I'm OK with that, to be honest. The the, the argument when I make it because I've made the I've made the same argument. I've been on your side of that argument before in other contexts. I think that that argument requires, however, the idea that you know how many, how much time is left, how many episodes there are. And to an extent you do, right? We know that these are eight episode uh, seasons and we know that that was episode four. So we've only got four. So we know we have 
uh, almost certainly we have four hours of content le- uh, or less left. But how many seasons? How 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 do these characters play into the broader universe that's going to be maybe shared? I gave up on the MCU a long time ago. I, Thanos was it for me. I called it quits after that. I, I don't really watch the shows. I can't. I can't keep up with it. So I don't. I haven't been totally berated with all of that stuff yet. But that for me is okay. So what I got with this episode was it was like a video game in a good way for me. You know, it's almost like the op- like the 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 opening act of a video game. You have a cutscene where you see all of the people training on the beach. They're shooting weapons. What's that Marine movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and one of the weigh-ins? Um, it reminded me when they're like, oh, man, I didn't even get to shoot my guns when they're partying because they're leaving the next day. And they all just started shooting their guns up in the air for no reason. I think that's Jarhead. That's the one. And so it reminded me of that. But, but you know, as a video game, you cut into it and then you select to take the training option where you kind of learn the func- the basic functions of your character. So that's them choosing their weapons and fighting and figuring that out. And then to set the story further along, you have a huge beast and this is your first mission. It picks up a child that you have to go hunt down. What I would have liked to have seen and where I think that it, the show... The, the episode could have done better was this one was like 33 minutes and the previous one was like almost an hour. Um, I would have loved to have seen a campfire story to expand some lore, kind of like Grogu got. Filoni uh, came from Avatar, The Last Airbender, a show that I thought was cool before everyone else did. I remember trying to get you to watch it when new episodes were still coming out like 20 years ago. So that's, that's um, right. <laughs> yeah, I got the cred on Avatar and and Cabbage Man, my favorite side character. Um, and so one of my favorite episodes from the first season when Filoni was still around and was involved with it had dual background stories to intertwine two main characters. They had Aang, who's like the main protagonist, and it had his backstory of how he froze himself and why he didn't want to be the Avatar, etc. And then it had Zuko, the main at the time antagonist, had his background about how he was banished from the uh, uh, the fire uh, the fire islands and all that. Oh my god, I'm blanking on it. But uh, basically, the Fire Lord banished him and all that. So how, his history behind that. And so I would have loved to have seen the duality with Grogu um, getting his background and then some other character. Maybe it makes sense that it would be either um, Heavy Infantry or Bo-Katan. You know, just see something, just a little bit more background from them telling the story. Maybe Bo-Katan, while she's eating at the fire, like reflects on her own history. And that's how you get the duality of background. But really, um, I don't know. Like, I just thought that watching the episode, it was visually spectacular. I got to watch a lot of eye candy, which I can admit. It was it was every bit of a video game in a good way. And uh, you got the conclusion. And I think that for me... It delivered what I wanted to see in the sense that I'm okay that Mando is meandering right now. I'm okay that, like, I don't really know what his purpose is. I don't know. He doesn't have a stated goal like he did in the first two seasons. He doesn't – I don't know why – like, what's what's propelling him right now. But I'm okay with that because – as long as again, as long as the Star Wars content is good or entertaining or expands the lore in some way that I can learn something new and unique about Star Wars, then um, I'm going to support it. So uh, I'll throw it back to I'll throw it back to you for response. <laughs> on, on any of that? I mean, no, like I don't disagree that. So let me caveat this. I I don't 
have a problem with any of the quote-unquote storylines. So if The Mandalorian, however improper that name is for a show, given what I'm about to say, may or may not be, if this season is about Bo-Katan's sort of quest to find the Mythosaur and reclaim Mandalorian, you know, ultimately she's going to somehow wield the Darksaber and like we're going to establish Mandalore as a presence again, cool, I'm fine with that. If you want to have the series or the or the season revolve around the idea that um, you know Grogu is no longer with Luke, he's starting to come into his own. Is he going to be a new type of Jedi? Uh, is he going to be a Jedi? Cool. Like if you want to have something be like focused on the implication of what does it mean for the Imperial Remnant? Are they going to try to reclone Grogu? What are, where does all that stand from the last sequence where we saw you know? Gideon and, and his his like vats of clone troopers and or sorry his uh clones and the dark troopers cool the problem is though that uh and, and I'll even give them a pass like the episode with Luke and Grogu and Ahsoka and Book of Boba Fett was like and and featuring Din like made no sense in that show like they just shoehorned in an episode and that's okay because like again it is what it is but for this season in particular like there is nothing about this last episode that has convinced me that there's any sort of red thread of a prop plot line like last episode we we talked about like the pershing sequence and like how this this whole thing about like the right. potential rebel or imperial triple agent like that's fine like because you kind of know where that's going there's cloning technology is this leading to something deeper but in this sure. episode none of that is true like if the focus is going to be on bo katan's story you're completely right like then we need to have exposition in a campfire sequence if it's going to be about grogu kind of you know going from level three to level four because he can unlock his force powers at will. Cool. But like dilly dallying for 40 minutes with like a pterodactyl that is resolved and contained within its own episode. That to me, just like, there's no point to this. Like I find that very boring, right? Like even if the kid had been. Yeah. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here for it. That's why I love it. You're here to be bored. No, I'm here. I'm I'm here to see a self-contained uh, Mandalorian fight pterodactyls. We'll read Look. a comic book. Like, I mean, th- like, I want to see it live action. No, that's why comic books are constructed the way they are. Like, if you want a contained serial story, fine. But like, you, this is not HBO, right? Like, this is not Netflix. We don't have 14 episodes at 48 minutes long. You have, like you said, eight minutes of very, or sorry, eight episodes of varying length from 30 minutes to 42 minutes, and as you said, we're already over episode three. We're we're, we're approaching the halfway mark. And yeah. like, what are, where are we going? And but what do you, what do you, what are you worried that we're missing? What do you, what, 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 okay. Okay. You, 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 you planted the seeds of like a couple of different plot lines and I think they all exist. I think it, I think every one of those is accurate. And you know what? I'm at a, bu- I'm at a star Wars buffet. I don't want to order off the menu. I want all of it. When I feel like, Hmm. I want this rare dish that is kind of gross, actually, but I'm exotic. Like I'll 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 take the Pershing platter. But when 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 I have the Mando munchies and I want to see some dudes light it up, I'm gonna watch this episode. This like this is one of I love Andor. I think Andor has been incredible content. We'll do an episode on 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 Andor. Um, <clears throat> and I know you feel the same. Uh, Andor doesn't have to me episodes that are super enjoyable or have like awesome rewatchability. I don't know how many times I want to rewatch like the first three episodes, this episode of Mando. I'm like, 
dude, they're blowing stuff up. I don't have to worry. About, I like, I'm, I don't have to be like, Oh, what was going on at this point in time? Like, what? like, Nope. I can just tune in. I can see some cool dudes shooting some guns and blowing up a pterodactyl. And then an alligator crocodile monster eats them. And dude, I know it's guilty. I'm guilty of it. I can't, I cannot, I, I get it. I get it. The problem like, is, though, the problem with that line of thinking, man, is that you're not like gorging yourself on McDonald's at the buffet. You're just eating oyster crackers. Like you're just filling up on oyster crackers. You're not even touching the other stuff. But they're the premium oyster crackers. They're the, the delicious ones that have the extra salt on top. You're just filling up on them and it's wasting time. Again, it's just preventing you from getting to like nobody's saying you can't enjoy all the things. But what I'm getting at is like, why are you have eight? You have eight shots. To, to convey a lot of really good content. Why are you wasting a full episode? What is the point of that pterodactyl? What is the point? Like, I don't have to tell you why I think the other- They're going to feed the mythosaur the babies. No, they're not. They're definitely not going to do that. Not in a Disney world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, what? What is, to explain to me what the line of thinking that you think is when Dave Filoni and John Favreau sit down and Kathleen Kennedy and all the other- people and they decide like okay like from a fabric perspective this is what episode three is going to go through and like is it that they're so patronizing and think so little of like a fan or a viewer's intellect that they're just like well i guess like we're just gonna like wave this like jurassic park thing in front of them for 30 minutes and they'll be happy with that because like yeah man if i was nine years old i would have eaten that shit up too but like you can't in this universe go from these even within the the Mandalorian show, there are so many tonal shifts that I, I I just feel like this season is is almost like when we first watched first watched Book of Boba Fett. Like suddenly we start with this sort of overarching, really interesting tone and narrative and motif. And then by the end of it, I have like Robert Rodriguez just like playing with his toys in a sandbox and like a rancor jumping off buildings and like things blowing up and like okay, like it, it's not to, I'm not like not fun, dude. I love yeah. all the fun stuff of Star Wars. Like, don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is like nothing that I saw in this last episode was new. Nothing was sure. particularly exciting. I don't think it was particularly well executed, but that's a different story for every day. Like, I've already seen all the the colorful Lisa Frank Mandalorian hodgepodge guys that just like. <laughs> but do you have the Karopi Hello Kitty special limited edition release. Side note, like, I really wish the costume department, like, didn't just keep using iterations of Boba Fett's armor and then spray painting him, like, orange or blue, <laughs> like, mismatching. It looks like, like it looked like a bunch of football teams from, like, the 60s. You know how they're just, yeah. like, one solid color helmet, a different color jersey. <laughs> it's, it's exactly that, like, because Heavy Mando looks pretty distinct from Boba Fett, who looks distinct from Din yeah. and even Bo-Katan. But anyways, my point is just to say, like, look, I'm, like... I'm not critiquing like Dave Filoni or John Favreau as creators because I think everything they've done is like almost we would both agree like an absolute and utter like net positive for the franchise and for fandom and, and all that goodness. What I'm just saying is is maybe it is because I'm getting old, but like, dude, I have a limited amount of time <laughs> to watch these shows without kids and distraction and work and life and other things catching up and so i don't expect to be wowed like every episode i don't expect every episode to be like the ending of 
you know, was it season two of Mando where like <laughs> Luke Skywalker's coming in and blowing yeah, up yeah. I get that. Like that's that's what you build to. I also don't expect a constant like revisiting of Luke Skywalker like we had in Boba Fett, where I was like, oh, this is like really cool and awesome and looks great and Ahsoka and all that. And she gets her own show. But the show writers, showrunners rather, need to like strap in and like get real serious, in my opinion, about like what is the arc of Din Djarin and now I guess Grogu. Like because if it's I can't tell, and I'll just close here. I can't tell yeah. is this really the Mandalorian or is this just what we're calling it? And now the focus is really gonna be them as supporting characters or deuteragonists at best to sure. Bo Katan, like reclaiming Mandalore. And like I don't know, and I and you're right. Like I'm not, I'm not sitting behind like a crystal ball, but constructively, I would just tell you, like I stand by my position very firmly that like this episode wasn't just candy. Like it was, it was like um, crappy wax bottle candy from Halloween that you just like you think you like because you're just chewing on the wax and you're like, oh, this is like kind of good and sugary, but like, yeah, like. I've seen it all before, man. There's nothing new that I saw. It's premium saw. Godiva shit. You know it. It's not Godiva, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, okay, 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 okay. I get all that. I respect I respect all that. But let me okay. Andor was twelve episodes and it had four arcs. Even though the writers denied it halfway through the show, it was very cl- plain, clear to see that the show had four distinct arcs and each one of them lasted precisely three episodes. Is that a fair statement? That means that we have four. It, it is. I'm not even going to let you answer. No. It means because, that we have four. It means we have four episodes left of a show that can be just as long, if not longer, that can get us an arc that can bridge that can bridge us to anything. Like we can have we can have the precursor episode next that sets sets stuff up that starts to bring things together, and then a three episode arc that can wrap it. it and, and and Han Solo can show up can can show up with you know surfing with Chewie, and they'd be like, hey dudes, let's get some hot dogs. I would just say it, it could totally happen. It's a false equivalency to talk about the prequels or any show that predates the OT because unless you really go back like thousands of years to like the old Kotar era, but I'm talking about like Rogue One, Andor, and even the prequel trilogy. The reason that that's a false equivalency and why those standards are different is because nothing that really happens is of consequence to the narrative of Star Wars. It's it can have dramatic consequence. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, of course. Again, that's that's what you're watching. It's the fabric of the acting and the fabric of the story. But you know what's going to happen. There, there is no consequence in Andor because I know what's going to happen. Could Stellan mm-hmm. Skarsgård die? Yeah, he probably will. And like. Could the other characters die? Like, yeah, they probably will. But I also know that Cassian, Whoa, we know we know we know Cassian's going to. Yeah, but like we also know in the show that like Cassian is in no danger, and nor is Mon Mothma because we know yeah, yeah, yeah. we know that she's the head of state. Well, probably, well, to some extent, through Return of the Jedi. And so, yeah, all I'm saying is like even with the prequel trilogy, like critiques, like I always think people make like a false equivalent. There is a false equivalency in comparing it, even as like the quality of movie, because like you already know who these characters are, you know what their arcs are, you know where they, you don't know where they start, but you know where they end. And in this scenario, and since the Mando's in uncharted territory, same with Book of Boba Fett, right? Like these things, and and truly, it was the same with going back to our original critiques. Gosh, I can't believe it's almost been ten years, but like 
eight, nine years ago about the the opening of the, the sequel trilogy, right? Like there's a much higher standard to execute when you wipe away existing canon. And now you're saying like, I'm the one tasked with creating the new universe and like I'm orienting you through it. And so I'm willing to drop any preconceived notions I have about what or who Luke should be or who Ahsoka should be or like whether Mandalore comes to preeminence again. That's fine. Like Disney has every right to like, stretch that out and, and make it their own but i'm just saying like man i, I we, we we have a limited window and i don't like i understand that not everything is neatly resolved at the end mm-hmm. of every season like that's the whole point right like case in point game of thrones yeah, but yeah. conversely like i don't like episodes short of like something really interesting and artistic that has like a point that um don't obviously contribute to like the plot of anything that's my okay that's fair that i i think i think i think mandalorian has been able to strike a to to this point in the, these four episodes has been able to strike a healthy balance between what what we can call carrying the weight of the lore of the entire franchise versus also progressing as an as a self-contained story. I think it has to it has to. You can't like it's it it's yes, it's unfair, but it is a reality. But it's unfair that that Mandalorian has to carry everything for the, for the franchise cuz cuz some of the other stuff's failing. And, and at least in terms of this era and we'll see for now. Um but it's I don't know. I don't know. I liked it, man. I liked it. <laughs> we could keep going, but we do we do have to be cognizant of some other stuff we want to get to. Let's be. Did did you notice in the in the flashback? I know most of the fans by the time they listen to this will have seen will have known the Easter egg, um, and they will have said, "Oh, that was really cool. That uh, it was the first time that Ahmed Best, you know, came back and reprised a different role in Star Wars and showed his face." But you know what, Jeff? Uh, they'd be wrong. You know why? <laughs> My boy, my boy, Ahmed Beck. This is a shot. And I know I know like I know you so well that I know what you're already going to say about this picture, but I'm going to let you do it anyways. But this shot is um, one of Mr. Ahmed Best playing Ahmed Beck in the uh, in episode two in the cantina that Obi-Wan and Anakin follow Zam Wiesel into. Jeff, what's 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 the other cool fact about this picture? Well, that's George Lucas's daughter. Next that's right. to him, she's the Twi'lek that's uh, at the bar, the purple Twi'lek. Yeah, I mean that's uh, no Ahmed Best is awesome, and I would say um, that we should actually probably make that a topic for a different podcast. Yes, yeah. and and we and we have talked about it before in volume one, yeah. folks. We 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 do talk about both Jake Lloyd, but we go into depth with Ahmed Best specifically. He's a good guy. I follow him on Instagram. He's a really cool person. Um, it's a really interesting and albeit like sad story. And I would say like, uh, as far as like his his arc with Jar Jar Binks as the actual actor himself and like kind of what was built to. Uh, and so I'm happy to see one thing that I really will give like Disney a lot of credit for. And, and let me co- put some context here. I understand this was also like Attack of the Clones. So this was like well before Disney, but um right one thing that i think is like really cool is the fact that to their credit they're helping sort of um i don't know what the right term is like not endear but i think a lot of star wars fans i think that's appropriate unless you're going in in a different direction yeah like they're endearing a lot of 
people that now looking back, we probably like Ahmed Best, Hayden Christensen, others where you're like, oh, like I'm good. I'm I'm happy to see him. I'm happy to see that like they made him this awesome, like dual saber wielding Jedi, awesome fighter. And like he had a, a cool moment in the sun there, too. Um, especially given all the stuff he had to put up with. And I think Hayden has expressed the same sort of like quasi astonishment where he was like, I didn't realize everybody liked me. I always thought everybody kind right. of hated me. And like it, that. And he, think- and, and, and he cites, he cites clone wars for, for kind of helping him out quite a bit. Uh, he has, he has specifically said it. He watched, he, he's seen all of them. Yeah, no, there was a, a uh, we won't digress. I, I won't digress anymore, but I did see a really adorable um, Instagram clip of like a dad showing his daughter, um who's probably like seven or eight maybe a little bit younger um one of the star wars movies and it actually might have been episode three which is intense to show a kid but she was like sobbing and he was like (laughs) why are you upset she's like i don't want anakin to become bad and like she was like legitimately hurt by it and i was like okay well they've done their job then as far as yeah yeah so 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 i know exactly the video you talk about and it also reminded me of a video that i'll share with our listeners at some point i'll put it up on the youtube at some point um that i took of my daughter explaining to my aunt what happened to darth vader and she was like the lava hit him and then and then he was but the emperor saved him and i was like oh my god this is amazing (laughs) so I, i always love like the little kid stuff one other thing i had to get in um uh mr mr best also got i got two i got two more on this first of all he got his own toy Ahmed beck it's actually pretty cool because it comes with a really nice uh cantina piece and like a glass so if you're into setting up and world building at uh this is the 375 scale this is what we talked about in our episodes before everyone that's listening knows what i'm talking about but you know again if we get super famous or whatever um this is the the scale Um, and then, and then I did like a little bit of, I looked when I was, when I was, you know, looking for these pictures, I was like, wait a second, Beck, what, what is that? Why did I, why did that sound right? And then I was like, oh, they called that guy Kalarin Beck. And then when I did some research, it turns out, um, at best says that the two of them are related. Oh, nice. That's a little tidbit. You know what? I bet this is not. I bet this fact is not going to be found in very many of the did you know in the next like the following day that comes out on these episodes. Like I that was a genuine Daniel Press researched fact that I found out and thought was pretty cool. Um, So I'm taking I'm taking I'm taking credit for that one. That's deep. No, that's good, man, because most of those did you know facts are like they're kind of like. Tootsie Pops, like, of course I knew. You know, like, that's how I read. Did you know it was Ahmed Best? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, thanks. Of course I knew. Uh, did you know that Harrison Ford was actually a carpenter? And that's how, like, yes, I like I knew that when I was nine years old, dude. Like, so, yeah, no, that that's really cool. And actually, looking at this picture, um, God, this is, like, one of the reasons. And it, it's like, I will not, I promise I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole right now. But, like, why Star Wars toys are so insane to me that – this character who appeared in a cameo sequence right. it's not just that they like made him a figure that like this was mass produced at scale in a factory somewhere with like all this really cool artwork on it i mean like that yeah, yeah, that yeah. looks cool that picture of him looks like it could have been taken from a decipher card like yeah. these are this is well done and like again you want to talk about my ultimate dream and i would give anything for you and me to be like extras in star wars because what that guarantees oh! like, extensive character biography at least a trading card probably an action figure somewhere down the line and then like all it takes is like the old marvel model of like 
if I can just like meet Dave Filoni, then he's gonna <laughs> be like, wait, you were this guy. I'm going to bring you back and like m- take you from like a, a double Z lister all the way up to like a B plus lister. And so uh, I, good for Ahmed. My man. I'm yeah. Sure we'll, we'll get more from him. <laughs> uh, oh, that would be so cool. Yeah. I don't, I, I like, I don't know. I, I tried to donate when that wouldn't, that was possible when uh, the force awakens was doing that contest for it. Um, force for change. Um, I definitely was like, Oh my God, I can do my own. Here we go. Here's, here's some charity dollars. Woo. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be very cool. Um, and I know you would customize a figure if one was not produced. So oh, that'd be cool. amazing. So, uh, we took up a lot of time on Mando. It was good stuff, but we took up a lot of time. So I don't. I, I want to go to. I want to go to our bitch, but I don't want. We're not talking about just like the most recent episode or even like the most recent couple because I know you aren't fully caught up. But just the idea, kind of, of Bad Batch generally. Again, it's not something that we've touched on. This will be a short segment, folks. This is like the the intermediary segment before you then kick off to the end. I don't know what that's called. I'm not in the biz, but um, I just kind of wanted to talk about it briefly. It starts, you know, it's it's kind of a continuation of Clone Wars in a way, in an essence. It it has some overlap of characters that appeared. It in in terms of the time frame, it picks up where it left off. What I thought was cool about the show was the pilot episode. I thought that you, we got like the most context behind the transition from the uh, from the old Republic into the Empire. And I thought it was pretty cool to see. I thought that the tone of the pilot, and it was this was like an hour long, hour, 15 minute long pilot, something like that. I thought the tone of it was pretty good. And honestly, at the end of it, I was like, yeah, yeah, this show could be pretty good. I don't know what they're going to spend so much time on, but this could be pretty good. And in, now that we're more than halfway through season two, I kind of think that it probably could have been done in maybe three hour long episodes. Like the whole yeah. whatever they're whatever they're getting to. Um, look, I, I kind of enjoy the show. It is what it is. I actually think that some of the more recent episodes have been fairly entertaining and good. There's um, the one, the episode 12 this season, The Outpost, is particularly good with Crosshair, Crosshair Focus. But I think just in general, there are too many episodes that I can't even remember what happened and was definitely not paying attention and definitely looking at my phone. And that's fine. I'm not, you know, this is probably not my, I'm not the target audience, but I kind of am because this was supposed to be built for the people to continue clone wars. And we grew up with, I mean, we were on the older end of it, but we grew up with clone wars. So, um, the only other thing I'll say, and I'll turn it over to you. Um, Omega is my favorite character. I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. Uh, reason I mentioned earlier, I have a six-year-old daughter, and there are some just genuinely heartwarming scenes where Omega, you know, gets to be a little girl sometimes and gets that little girl excitement and joy, and it genuinely warms my heart to see some of that stuff. So I like, you know, I like that she's brave and courageous and and has like that spunk to her uh she's a good weapons expert and is pretty awesome at flying apparently now so um like that kind of keeps me going on that and and oh my god her accent i know everyone's like tick echo ricka help help me and like love to make fun of her but like i genuinely i genuinely really like the the accent um and oh my god the last name is ong but i can't remember her 
first name that voices it. <sighs> I, I'm really sorry. Michelle Ong, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I, I like that part. So I'll toss it over to you for some some thoughts on on Bebech and, uh, you know, <laughs> where, where, where am I going? I know that you're not caught up yet, though. We should probably do that thing where um, like I'm like Rogan or Howard Stern, where like one of us is like, hey, pull, pull that up, like pull that up really quick. And like we, we could like look up to see what her name is. That's that's, that's what I was thinking. Like We should have cross reference here. Um, yeah, you know, Bad Batch is fine. Um, I'm I don't want to be seen, especially after this episode, as like some pessimist because that's like. Let me just recalibrate here for a minute, guys, like I'm not a Star Wars cynic. I'm not a Star Wars pessimist. Oh, my God, if you knew how much money alone i spend on this like franchise just as a hobbyist like please know that like there's nothing but love it's, it's not a critique of the show i just felt like um you know it feels a little bit like a gi joe small soldiers like squad show right like that's what they're mm-hmm. going for there's the specialist that's cool like it doesn't have yeah. to be given its medium and again the way that those shows are produced versus like a live action show it's it, it's just inherently not going to be held to the same type of standard so I'm not going to hold it to the same types of, of judgment either. I think um, <clears throat> I don't mind it. Uh, yeah. Your, you were very like on the nose when you made that comment about like not really remembering a lot of what's happened, which is weird because I remember a lot of what happened. I mean, I thought the ending of that last season was like Cad Bane or like towards the end of that season with Cad Bane and um, Hunter and like that whole sequence is like, wow, this is like cool, high stakes. I'm, I'm into this. Yeah. Yeah. I know where they're going, so I get it, you know, like, is, they're trying to find that arc, right, with, like, is there going to be redemption for other fallen brothers, are they really removed, is this, like, driven by ideology, and, like, versus, you know, like, that sense of, like, kinship and camaraderie, and, and that's cool, like, you know, Crosshair's sort of, like, redemption, will it, will it, won't it happen, that, that's fine, like, I'm into it, I guess, um, I think for me, you know, my only, my only like caution would be like, if they want to continue on the path they're continuing and, you know, mm-hmm. to your point, like you have a certain demographic in mind and that's cool. Then like, that's fine. The, the, the only like, it's more of a statement than anything else. It's not even like a warning would just be as the star Wars universe, like continues to expand. And this is not on Filoni or Fabro. This is, this is the, the problem that all of, creators in the star wars universe face and have faced was that there's almost like this temptation to tie every minor or supporting character back to a core event to bring them legitimacy versus like yeah, sure. out and doing something on its own and so yeah reality yeah. is like what the bad batch does really has like no effect on anything in star wars and it won't until the point where favreau or excuse me filoni decides like yeah, but like then they're gonna be the ones that like leak X Y Z to like Cassian, or they're gonna be the ones that yeah, there's gonna be some sure. like, contrivance of what they do, and that's okay. That's probably what you have to do, right? To, I was like, just gonna say that like that that's how that's why Rogue One was successful is because how like of course we know what's gonna happen. Like how can but how can you connect that to Star Wars to give it broader meaning? Oh, that's how they got the plans. Kyle yeah. Katarn wipe notwithstanding, which I know burned you deep. Well, I would just say I, I think the the original Clone Wars seasons did such an awesome job adding gravitas and drama and stakes. And I think like 
I think Bad Batch will probably become more topical in my own mind and probably pull me back in once we start to pick off some of these characters because that's the other thing is like there has to be sacrifice there has to be there has to be some level of like high stakes involved i am not going to be interested in the show if all six of them five but you know what i mean six like continue along and it's just like if there's no the thing i really liked about clone wars too was like there was always like consequence we knew how this series ended or we knew what order 66 implied but they also weren't hesitant to like kill characters off too you know like yeah one of those sequences one of the coolest ones was when they were on ryloth and i'm a gundy or whatever um, aptly named like makes that last stand like this was like really cool like people and i i would just say like like any of these shows man like i'm not calling for the head of anybody in particular but like we have to see someone make a sacrifice to really advance it so i'm, I'm hopeful I am. Sure. I, okay. The show's okay. Fun. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there will be some interesting. I think that there may have been some uh, intent on the part of Disney to kind of release Bad Batch and uh, Mandalorian overlapping. Um, not only is it a nice link for subs- subscriptions, I know HBO is the king of that, but it also, or bridging subscriptions, but it also. Um, they have like cloning elements to both that really are uh, kind of kind of leading us to a path, right? And I, I don't want to go too deep because I know we have if if we get to that path, I know you're going to have some strong opinions on it. I don't know that that's. I think I I think that they're setting up cloning interestingly. I think that there's some angles that they're exploring that are interesting. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they're trying to link or build up the sequel trilogy. I think that there might be some other things going on. Um, that's a little tease for another. We'll have an episode on speculation because there's not always. We're going to try to do weekly episodes, and there's not going to be new content every week. So we're going to have to we're going to come up with something to talk about. So we'll 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 pick it up there. Um, any last thoughts or you want to move on to, uh, interdictors? No, I'm, I'm going to, to cool. move over to interdictors. I guess I would just say on that front too, uh, I was curious to know why you chose Imperial interdictors, um, the, the ship itself. I don't know what I classify it. As, I guess I wouldn't classify this as a capital ship because what it really is, is, is more of like a, they don't use the right term. So it's not technically a destroyer because that's what a star yeah. destroyer is, but it's really more of a, in the, in the context of like modern militaries and navies, it would be more akin to a destroyer. I guess like a cruiser is probably like the better, the better term for it. Um, even though it is technically a star destroyer, but I was just interested to see why you chose of all of the ships. I mean, it's a cool, it's a very cool yeah. pull from our, from the, the quote unquote Central guys, I mean, it's it's technically canon too, but um, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, really, there was there was uh, not much more than the fact that uh, it it actually on the cover of the essential guide to vehicles and vessels, it is touching a sand crawler. The, there is a picture <laughs> on the cover, and it is being overlaid by a sand crawler. I thought it was 
very appropriate to bring it up on the on on the cast. You know, again, I want to do kind of a series where maybe it's maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 15, maybe 25, whatever, depending on how unique or interesting the topic is or the subject is to just kind of talk about the the deeper roots of Star Wars, the lore of Star Wars. We have friend of the show, Austin, let us know that he learned a whole lot about Duros and the Enduro in uh, the previous episode. So we kind of want to keep keep that rolling with just, you know, we'll talk about surface level stuff and there's then there's a time to 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 dig a little bit deep. Um I'm not saying that we're gonna dig super deep, but you know, I thought I'd pick the interdictor. It it comes up a lot in um some of the content that I really like. So they use it a lot in Rebels. They it comes into play in um the X Wing novels, again rebranded as Rogue Squadron. So there's a lot of different uses for them. So again, I'll turn it over to you, but the basic use for them is these are ships and you can see they kind of have the four um, bubbles on them. So so for our folks that are listening, they basically look like, take an Imperial Star Destroyer, the, the cheese wedge ship, if you will, take the little two balls off the top, slice them in half, and then put them kind of on, on the hull of the ship and squish it a little bit. And then they have four on the bottom as well. But they they otherwise kind of look the same. And their basic purpose, and we'll get nerdy with you in a little bit, but their basic purpose is to be able to pull ships out of hyperspace that are in hyperspace, so very fast light speed travel, and also to prevent ships that are in real space from going to hyperspace. So, uh, Jeff... Uh, any any little tidbits, anything interesting that you <laughs> that you like about the interdictor? I thought it was cool because it was always the ship that was meant to um, kind of go not head to head, but like um, those ships weren't they're they're they were trying to be hero killers, as I recall. Like so, the idea was that like Rogue Squadron, especially commanded by Wedge, was really like this super elite fighting force of you know again rebel craft, predominantly X, Y, and A some B-wings, but like that traditionally, like the rebel ships had always fared very well against star destroyers. Like they'd sort of figured out the weakness. There was, if you look at like the battle of Endor, for example, they had like a pretty good amount of success in figuring out, you know, sort of the weaknesses of those star destroyers, rebel, rebel capital ships kind of had figured it out. And to your point, like the dominator was more of like a true offensively minded ship that could stand up to something like rogue squadrons, rogue squadron but like to your point it could also pull in using that gravity well technology um other ships i you know they were always classified as somewhat um less common than like the the big imperial ships of the day but they were definitely used pretty extensively as again like a nice tactical thrust to counter sort of the rebel hit and run um and also just like more robust fighter fleet because again like the imperials never they always relied on like mass numbers, right? Like whether it was a TIE fleet or a TIE swarm of regular TIE fighters all the way down to like TIE interceptors and like the sort of poorly defended um, or defensive TIE bombers. Like they needed something that could actually like withstand and and go toe to toe with the rebel ships. So like, again, pretty cool that I I, I always thought they had an, an interesting role. We never got to see, and that's, you talking about them is like all the more reason I really need to go back and like read some of these books because there's a lot of really cool, as I, as I think, um, story and context around just like the ship to ship fighting. There's mm-hmm. a series of, um, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm blanking on the name, but there's a series of, um, 
British naval books, uh, Master and Commander is the one that was like most notable because um, they adapted it into a movie and some others by, yeah, Patrick O'Brien is the author. But like so much of those was about explaining like Dreadnought class and like all these different like. Yeah, yeah, yeah like ships and how they interacted with each other and i feel like that's probably where the x-wing books go into detail so all that to say like um you know they're really interesting ships again not really capital ships but um yeah they look cool and again i thought the purpose of them obviously is more than just a plot device like there's so many cool and also not cool ships that exist in the imperial catalog especially back to the uh the um the essential guides like to where everything was either just a variant of a star destroyer or for whatever reason like they made like thai tanks because they thought thai was like the only type of imperial <laughs> ship and like there's a thai fighter with like treads that just like goes around on the ground you're like wait what like so um yeah anyways all that to say i thought they were really cool sometimes when i like read about these ships and i look at the numbers that it takes to like populate those ships like the oh my god models. you're like i can't even like quantify there was one time that i i was reading about maybe we talked about it at, at one point but like there's a discrepancy as to like how long star destroyers actually are because like yeah, yeah, yeah. perspective they vary and like how the executor is like or executor i never know if it's executor or executor but how like that executor ship, but yeah 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 executor yeah executor felt more on brand but yeah um, it does but it's technically executioner and sure. yeah executor like he's the executive blah blah whatever but like the how the executor is like a 40 mile long ship and you're like, <laughs> yeah. what like <laughs> like okay so anyways, yeah i'll just say like i like some of the stuff that's a little bit more palpable um as far as like okay like not to say that these ships could be created or like I think I read somewhere we were talking that like to create one Imperial Star Destroyer, like in today's terms would require not only like every resource on Earth, but would require like a harnessing of like, <laughs> like all resources from the solar yes. system. One. Uh, so it's cool, though, to see like, again, more tactically oriented sort of battleships versus right. um, things that are just so like inconceivably large, like the second Death Star. Right. No, I love that. I love that angle. Um a couple of things about this Sinar Fleet Systems uh, ship is uh, so so Sinar Fleet. Jeff mentioned this in our previous episode. Um, Sinar is one of the big three producers of ships in general. It's again like the Raytheon or Boeing or whatever um, Honeywell that you want to uh, whatever you want to call it for military contracting um, and construction. It's privatized, but they sell to uh, governments and militaries. The Sinar Fleet System specifically is responsible for uh, the the Thai bomber, the Thai defender, the Thai fighter, Thai interceptor. So all all of the Thais except the Thai crawler. <laughs> Actually, this is legit. This is legit. It was Santa and Sinar Technologies, an offshoot of Sinar Fleet Systems that made the Thai crawler. Go figure. At any rate, um, God, that was a nerd bomb. Uh, yeah, at the any rate, crawler, the tie crawler is the dumbest ship I've ever seen. It is so stupid. It, it it's like, can we take the the worst part tactically from the tie fighter and then also put it in a tank? <laughs> but, anyways, um, what I think is pretty cool. It makes sense that this ship was made. It was it was produced a couple of years before the events of A New Hope, and so the purpose behind it, like you had said, was again there were rebel strikes. It was to combat and counter. 
But, you know, as the Empire, they're a big, they're a huge fleet. They're, they want to be stationed everywhere and be there permanently. So it's always good. And Rebels being a more of a guerrilla tactic folk, uh, it was good to have someone that could prevent or a ship that could prevent escape, right? So the Rebels risked more. They couldn't just show up, bomb a whole bunch and jump to hyperspace and unscathe. So the Empire needed something to combat that. They could also station them near trade routes and just randomly pull people that were hauling cargo on one of the trade routes. And then there was a couple of other tactical uses. So there's something called the Thrawn Pincer, which uh, if a you could have a starship be really far away, it, a, a friendly starship really far away, and you could use the interdictor to project a gravity well, which is what pulls something out of hyperspace. And so your, your um, companion ship, usually a Star Destroyer, can make like a micro- hyperspace jump and be pulled out by the interdictor without risking hitting a ship or coming up in the wrong spot. So it's like a, it, it doesn't just stop enemies. It can also stop friends. Um, another, uh, another use one uh, or use for it was when Coruscant was being captured by the rebels uh, in old canon. So in legends, they had a, uh, they, they had actually had a defected interdictor ship on their side whose purpose was in case the shields for Coruscant weren't weren't down it was the interdictor's job to pull the fleet out of hyperspace so they wouldn't be totally destroyed by the orbital defenses uh so i thought that was kind of interesting like there's some strategic use behind it and then of course like the, the most that we get out of it in real consumable or digestible content is in rebels when the rebels are able to escape adalon because a imperial Interdictor decides to go rogue and engage the enemy and go against Thrawn's orders, so they were able to have a a quick window to, to hyperspace and save the rebellion. So that's it. Inter, inter, interdictor ships. We'll we'll come up with more with more nerdy stuff. That was that was quite a bit right there. But uh, Jeff, any any closing thoughts on? They're definitely. On, I had to refresh my memory with the Disney canon because I'm not as up to date with it as I was like the old legend stuff. But mm -hmm. having read that Kira from Solo, like knowing that that was her ship, that she, the, the Crimson Dawn had like broken away and had theirs. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that we're going to see that ship probably appear in some. We've seen it already in some. Well, it's in Andor, right? Like they have a they have an iteration of it in Andor potentially or that or that might have been a comm ship that had interdictor capabilities that it had to be well, destroyed. Something about that. I mean her ship. Oh like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. Or something. Um, but yeah, like I, it's it's cool. It was very cool. Well, I think that the most untapped sequence in Star Wars, and it tends to be the most overlooked, even though it's top of mind for everybody, is always vehicles. Like you know, yeah. if you saw an X-wing or a Tie Fighter, what, or even a Star Destroyer, like what media that's from. And it's interesting because again, like that well goes so deep. Um, especially in the old expanded universe, but even now, I mean, there's there's plenty of content. So I do like talking about this stuff, and I'm glad we got to talk about what was it called, the Tie Crawler? Is that how I remembered it too? The Tie Crawler. I remember yeah. seeing that in like sixth grade in that book and being like, this is the stupidest looking thing I've ever it's, laid eyes it's, on. I could, I could like blow it up with my car today. I could just like run into it. Um, yeah. It, no kidding. No joke. No joke. You don't you don't want to really have that kind of tie windshield 
on a, <laughs> on a tank. tank. <laughs> it's just, it's not wise. Turns um, out you put a little armor on tanks on the front and the sides, and even to some extent the back, but not a giant glass window. Uh, kind of my thinking, but hey, yeah. look, it was a crazy time. It was a crazy time. We'll 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 give we'll give everybody a pass that was making stuff. You know, there's some good. The interdictor is a pretty cool ship, so I'll give them I'll give them the I'll I'll give them the tie crawler. It was an offshoot. It was an unsuccessful subsidiary of Sinar Fleets, Jeff. They, they went out of business, so no surprise. Can you imagine? And then we can we can we can wrap. But can you imagine? Like, I keep reading in X in the X Wing books. Uh, they're like, oh yeah, Tie pilots. You know, their Tie the Tie ships don't have any shields, and we've talked about it in like in in the video games episodes and stuff. Like, can you imagine being a Tie pilot, being like, oh, so our lifespan is 1.3 missions. Oh, <laughs> like what? I'm a veteran yeah. if I've made it to three missions. What? That's like crazier than oh, I'm. I'm not. I'm, I hesitate to say this fact because like I don't remember the specifics, but it's that's like akin to World War One flyers where they were like you average like you won't even make it to ace with five kills because you'll probably only last like two and a half missions before you get shot down. It's like, wait, what? Like, I don't really, yeah. do that. I don't know why anybody would like want to do this unless they're just like zealots. But I felt like a lot yeah. of those imperial pilots like generally weren't. That's something we should talk about in another episode is sort of what I think is like this weird um, inconsistency of how high pilots or imperial pilots are portrayed because they're either portrayed as like to your point like these like disposable characters or i sometimes i always think about this man sorry i, I will shut up after no, this. No, 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 i always think about this like how you know like you have to be really good but you have to be really good just to stay alive and i think about for some reason those poor imperial pilots that like follow han solo into the asteroid field and those guys are pulling off like crazy <laughs> maneuvers and like they're doing so good like they must have been so epic and like awesome in their own right and like it's only by sheer circumstance like what did they think they were just following like some big white freighter dude not like, bill he was a week away from retirement nobody's made it yeah and then like just <laughs> totally like eats it when like he goes like head first into an asteroid and you're like oh man like what an unceremonious way to go out yeah. and like i don't know why that bothers me but you know you have guys like baron fell in the expanded universe who are supposed to right. be like these absolute wizards and you're like well are they respected or are they not anyways that's not for this episode but um yeah, I think yeah. weird things like this are what keep me up at night so well <laughs> love it love it so folks finally uh we're on to uh our the the, the giveaway part this is the shortest segment of the show follow us on instagram at the sand crawler podcast it's one word there's no underlines there's no anything the sand crawler podcast on instagram we are on youtube you're probably watching this on youtube i actually noticed that we had fewer listeners for our second episode but more youtube watchers um and i was only i only accounted for about half of them so that's pretty good. We're 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 moving on up the ranks. If and because of that, because of that, and because I was able to get so many sand crawlers from this eBay seller, I want to keep the giveaway rolling. So new code word for this week. Also, if you have entered already and uh, I have either indicated that you have won or you have received your sand crawler, please don't enter. I know who you are. Um, but if you have not and you're listening to this episode. 
code word omega 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 it is michelle on by the way i was right boom um, you can spell it omega o-m-e-g-a or you can spell it omega o-m-e-e-g-a both yeah be <laughs> we will we will accept we will accept both spellings phonetic and literal yeah that's the one actual i don't know um anyways we will be happy to do that still keeping it in the u.s again i'm not shipping to tahiti unless i'm going there on vacation i will gladly take a couple with me jeff i'm gonna let you close this out yeah i thought this was good and i would just tell our listeners again at the end of the day not every episode that it's almost impossible for us to find a point of clash between the two of us we felt like this was warranted to have a little bit of a crossfire style debate um and so again please know that it's not always just ever going to be two fanboys arguing with each other because this was the first time i think there's ever been a true divergence uh in our opinion on star wars felt like it needed to be documented at least historically even if nobody's listening to this for the two of us since we talk about star wars literally nonstop. so uh, i would just caution everybody to say hope you enjoyed it but certainly there won't be that level of uh, excitement and clash going forward as it pertains to um our love or our disappointment or our cynicism or even our critique of, of the Star Wars media. All that to say next time we will um, hopefully by in, in a few listens, Daniel, I know we're working to get on their streaming platform services as well, like Spotify yep. and, and Apple. Um, those take a little bit more time, but should be all good. And, and again, we welcome your feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. If you don't like my voice, sorry, it's how it is. I'll try to be deeper. If you don't like the way Daniel talks, tell us. We'll we'll work on it. I'll wear, I'll, I'll wear a voice modulator. I'll, I'll do it I'll, if you'll listen. I want to talk like Ned from South Park. Oh, my God. Uh, but also what I would say, too, is if you have any ideas or suggestions for us, they're welcome. We will try to get some guests on that are actually tied to the Star Wars universe. I'm not going to reveal any names or any ideas, but Daniel and I both have some contacts. And we think that would be pretty cool, too. So, again, if, you, if you're interested, critiques, comments, always welcome. If they're if they're really harsh critiques, I'll just tell you we probably won't care. Uh, <laughs> we're both just arrogant enough when it comes to our fandom that I'll I'll let it slide off my back. But we do appreciate you listening and we appreciate you tuning in. Um, and I'll go ahead and, and Daniel, I would leave everybody with the fact that um, I am hopeful and I'm excited for what comes in the Star Wars fandom. We have a couple of topics that we're really excited to talk to you about, and we thank you for your time. So may the force be with you. May the force be with you.